to create a movement, you got to stand out. You are a product of where you came from, but you drive the car. The problems we cause, the value we create, so much of it comes down to the story we tell ourselves. Perception is reality, and whatever story we believe has a very real impact on the lives we live. Whether you want to write the next chapter or change your story altogether, this episode is a practical look at the narrative that defines our lives. Welcome to Subject Matter. Hello and welcome to another episode of Subject Matter. This is episode 10 of season two. I am your host, as always, Ben Bradbury. And for the next half an hour or so, we are going to be diving into a new mental model that we can use to understand ourselves and the world just a little bit better. Before we go any further, I hope that you are all staying safe and healthy in this time of isolation. I know it's a little bit uncertain right now, but by continuing to learn, making sure that we're opening ourselves up to new ideas and new inputs, we can make sure that we all collectively make the most of this opportunity. Last episode, we talked about the language of decision-making. And the big idea, the one word that this came down to was precision and being more precise in the language we use. One word can make a huge difference. And this same principle matters in the story that we tell ourselves. Let me give you an example. I want you to picture a medical professional. Now, in one case, they like people. In the other case, they like animals. The story that those people embody, if they like people, they become a doctor. If they like animals, they become a vet. Those two professions, even though it's one word, are worlds apart. The language we use and the stories that we choose to tell ourselves have very real implications for the lives that we live. And today's episode is going to help you make better decisions by shining a light on one man's story and how the evolution that he had completely changed his life's trajectory. It's time to introduce today's guest. Rich Keller is on a mission to transform one million lives one word at a time. With Catalyst as his one word, Rich understands the challenges associated with trying to discover what makes you stand out. He has learned that you can conquer life's obstacles and reach excellence when you uncover your core value, which he defines as who you are, not what you do. With an MBA from the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and 25 years branding experience at companies such as Nabisco, Kraft Foods, and Godiva, Rich now applies his marketing expertise to personal branding. He travels the United States, speaking at high schools, colleges, entrepreneurship conferences, and corporations, motivating young adults to craft their personal brands in one word and turn it into their greatest asset so they can stand out, conquer obstacles, reach excellence, and score. Needless to say, with his focus on one word, Rich cares about the precision of language. He believes that you can sum up your core value, everything that you get paid for and you represent, into just one word. But how did he first reach this realization? I spent most of my professional career believing that my identity was caught up in what I do. So if you say to somebody, tell me about yourself, for the most part, the majority of people are going to start by telling you what they do for a living. 
I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm an accountant, I'm a consultant. Then you lose your job and you suddenly say to yourself, I have no identity. What am I going to tell people I do? And that is where I faced a lot of my professional career. I've lost three jobs along the way. It took me a year, a little over a year to get jobs, the next one. And I kept saying to my wife all the time, I have no value. Nobody cares about me. I'm only as good as the people that know me. And so I was interviewing for a job and I was 100% certain I was getting this job. I was qualified. I was on my way to the recruiter and it was like smiles. I'm finally you know, going to land. And when I got in the room and she sat me down, she literally said to me, you're not getting this job. And I was shattered. But it's what she said next that made me realize in hindsight why I didn't deserve the job. She basically literally looked at me and said, you're a catalyst and they're looking for a babysitter. Meaning the brand was this well-defined big brand that, you know what? They didn't want somebody to disrupt the brand. They wanted somebody to just nurture it along the way. Well, that's not me. And at that moment is when I realized she just defined, and I really said this to myself in my head, I didn't articulate it really well, but she just defined my core value. She's right. I mean, I'm a catalyst in everything I do. A catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds significant action or change without itself being affected. And when I looked back on my career at that moment in the room, every time I had success, it was when I brought people together. We changed the game. We launched a new product. We opened up a new market in the world of consumer packaged goods. And it was that moment, I didn't necessarily know what to do with it, but I knew at that moment that I had a way now to describe myself in such a way where my identity was no longer about what I do, but it was now tied to who I am. And a big theme that we're going to see from Rich's story is that often the stories we tell ourselves are different to reality. In Rich's case, he said, I was 100% sure that I was getting the job. And when that story didn't come to fruition, well, it caused unnecessary grief. Expectation was the enemy. But there's a bigger point for you here, which is that uncertainty actually ends up stripping back our identity. When Rich didn't get the job, when his world was thrown into chaos, that's when he could really assess who he actually was. And in March 2020, US unemployment claims recently jumped from 100K the previous week, 100,000, to 3.8 million in one week, and they're still climbing. Now, these are lots of lost jobs, and obviously this is a tragedy, but that's a lot of lost identities too. Why is that exactly? And that's because Rich's core value of a catalyst, that's his identity. And the problem that so many of us make is we attach what we do to our identity. And in fact, Rich believes that our identity is not what we do, but who we are. In Terry Pratchett's Discworld book, Sorcery, the lovable protagonist, this buffoon called Rincewind, the wizard, gives himself serious anxiety in one conversation. He says, I don't think you understand. A wizard isn't what you do, it's what you are. If I wasn't a wizard, I wouldn't be anything. Well, in real life, this just isn't true. Embracing our identity comes before we decide what we do. We need that core value before we go and share it with the world. So last episode, we highlighted that bad communication leads to uncertainty. And similarly, framing our identity as what we do could lead to trouble down the road because it's not truly who we are. So in other words, 
I comes before Y. Let's make this practical now. We can use Rich's mental model to understand the logic behind when we buy products from a company we like and what is actually going on beneath the surface. Your product is not your brand. Your brand is your core value. And you use your product to drive your brand. Or in this case, you drive your core value. So if you think about Spanx, which is a story that I love and I, I think Sarah Blakely is genius. If you think about it, if I had called you up or I had called up a friend of mine, a, a female friend, and said, I have a pair of underwear to sell you and it's $80, you would probably say to yourself, Number one, I don't need another pair of underwear. I've never met a person who tells me I don't have any underwear in my drawer. And number two, why am I spending $80 on a pair of underwear? And that's because if you put your product out there without your value, you're essentially just a product. And I don't need another product in my drawer. But Sarah Blakely was smart in building Spanx and said, I'm not actually selling underwear. I'm selling confidence. Because when you put on my Spanx, and you suck it all in, as I like to say, and you stand up straight, and you feel slimmer, and you're on stage rocking it, that rocking it on stage and feeling awesome about yourself and having that confidence, that's what you just paid 80 bucks for. And so the idea of your product not being your brand, your brand being your core value of confidence, and you use your product, the product is awesome. You have to have an amazing product, but she's using the product to drive the intended communicated message of the core value of confidence. The brand is not the hero in the game. The brand is the guide. And the hero is the consumer that bought the brand because they now have their problem solved. So now we can understand a bit better why we buy the products we do. It's based on being a quality product, of course, but it has to have that core value that resonates with us. In Spanx's case, they're not just selling underwear, they're selling confidence. You're selling a feeling. As Rich says, The product is rational, but the brand is emotional. Examining the psychology behind why we buy shows that we're making decisions based on emotion. Whether we're buying the feeling of confidence from Spanx or the simple luxury that comes with an Apple product, the emotion drives the decision. And as we discussed last episode, precise language is linked to emotions. Language is quite simply the clothing that encapsulates our emotions as they are communicated. And there's a reason that we say, well, this makes sense when we understand something. It's because we comprehend things using sensory information, things that we can see, smell, touch, taste, or hear. So if we're trying to persuade someone with a story, those emotional responses that we're looking for, they have to be packaged in sensory information. Yes, we might be selling confidence with Spanx, but that comes in the form of underwear. Stories must paint a vivid picture, and you can't paint pictures with abstract feelings. So I want you as an exercise now to break down an activity, an experience that you've done recently that left an impression on your memory. How did it make you feel? Take a second to relive that memory and to put yourself back into the emotional state that you found yourself in. What you're going to notice through doing this is that the sensory experience came first, the memory, and then the feeling bubbles up next to it. And keeping this distinction in mind lets us see when we are trying to tell stories ourselves, not to become too abstract and dabble in the world of feelings, 
we always want to be rooting it down to tangible sensory information that our audience can understand. So as we've seen by now, the core value is an important part of Rich's branding philosophy. But what if we don't know ourselves well enough to know our core value? Is it okay to just sit back and accept that's the way that things are? Or should we try and dig deeper? Well, I argue for option number two, to do some digging. Why? I learned this from Rich, quite simply, in a story that he told about one of the most impactful transformations that he has ever undertaken. I'm going through life. I go to college. Like, I'm thinking things are okay. You know, at least like everybody has these issues or everybody goes through this. And then I woke up right after college at 26 years old with testicular cancer. And I literally woke up and my whole life changed. I mean, I had no idea how to navigate the world of cancer. I thought you, you die. I mean, that's sort of how I remember growing up with family members or people that you know, my parents would talk about, cancer, death. But what really happened, and I'm honest about it, is my family wasn't there for me at all, at all. There was no rally around Rich to make Rich better. If you think about it, I was the social person in the family. I was the one that made the dinner and, the, and brought everybody together. And now I'm the one sick and nobody's around me. And if it wasn't for my wife, who I was dating at the time, whose parents literally swooped me up and figured out a way to get me better, because my father-in-law, who I call dad, is a doctor or he's retired now. But it was that moment when I started to realize, hmm, not every family is like this. There's definitely something wrong with my family, or at least the way that I view family. Because what I'm longing for is normal. But I didn't think it was normal because I was living in a very, what I thought was normal, dysfunctional world. And it was really that moment when I got sick that I realized that I'm never going to have that connection with my family. And I'm going to have to go drive my own car and seek it out myself. A key concept that I want to deliver to you guys today is the idea of the bubbles that we live in. It took Rich getting outside of his bubble, the world that he'd constructed for himself, to realize that core value that he was actually missing, which was his connection with a family. Now, this was forced upon Rich, and not through favorable circumstances, of course, but we can learn from his story and choose this ourselves. Because we are all unwittingly sheltered and limited by the bubbles that we exist in. For me, I realized when I'd just turned 23 and moved to New York City, that I'd been living in a bubble growing up in the United Kingdom my whole life. It was only when I moved across the continent, knowing one person, that the bubble burst and I realized just how big this amazing planet actually is. But it took me doing that radical experience, it took Rich undergoing that radical journey to actually understand the limits of the bubble that we're in. And this is why the idea of unknown unknowns matter. The things we don't know that we don't know. It means that we, on average, should bias towards trying new things because they might help us pop the bubbles that you didn't know existed. So now's time for another practical exercise if you're listening along. If you're interested in the idea of popping some of these bubbles and really pushing your thought patterns, what I'd like you to do is write down three hobbies or activities that you've wanted to do but have been putting off. At the time of recording, 
We're all in isolation right now, and we may have a few months on our hands to try them. So write down three things that you can try in the place that you're staying to learn or to grow or to just push the boundaries of how you see yourself. For me, for example, this week, I've started doing poetry again and started dancing in my shed because I enjoy it. Why not? And I'd love to see you guys doing the same thing. It might not give you that radical bubble burst. Of course, we can't guarantee it. But what it will help you do is think slightly differently about the bubble that you have and the story that you're telling. Now, this next section is our reminder that we are all trying to be less wrong. None of us are above bad behavior patterns, no matter how we are born or raised. And even positive habitual change can easily be undone without careful attention. This is a reminder that we are all fallible. And if we're not careful, we might end up playing out the very story that we wanted to avoid all along. I grew up in a home where when I say I wasn't valued, you know, my dad told me I wasn't athletic enough. My brother and sister every day because they went to Ivy League colleges told me I wasn't smart enough. My parents fought, literally fought 24-7, 365. I don't remember any time that my parents were happy. I lived in fear of my dad. I was afraid of him every single day. My mom was my savior, but I thought he was going to kill her because they fought all the time. Ben, I'm telling you, I remember the moment where I said to myself, my kids are going to have the same issue I had. They are going to live the same life I'm living with anger, with a dad who can't get it together. I really thought, I mean, if you really want to get deep into this, I had no relationship with my dad growing up. None. Zero. We lived in the same house, never spoke. I just had no, I couldn't relate to this man, okay? And so when my son is growing up, you know how scared I was that my son was going to do the same thing to me? And every time my son had an argument with me, every time he argued with me or I had to make a decision, I would say to him, you're not mad at me, right? Or I'd be like, I'm going to have to say yes because he's not going to like me and then he's going to do to me what I did to my dad. I can't tell you how many times my son would say, dad, I didn't know your dad. Like, I do the same thing to mom. You're overthinking this. But it wasn't until I was in therapy that I realized I was creating that. I created that whole scene in my head of what he was going to do to me. But it's hard to do something to someone when you haven't been a part of it. And I had that moment where I was going to destroy the relationship without it ever being needed to be destroyed because I had all this limiting beliefs in my head that he was going to do things to me But meanwhile, it was not the dad that my dad was. I can't tell you how many times my therapist said to me, you are sabotaging your relationship with your son. It's your sabotaging. Fix it. So thinking about the scene that Rich is constructing in his head, it tells us that the story that we're telling ourselves can be all powerful, but they can also cripple us as well. Rich was frankly afraid of playing out the same loop that had happened to him and rightly so. But notice how that this wasn't reality at all. Rich created the scene in his head of stepping into his father's footsteps. And it took his son giving him a well-needed wake-up call to realize that that loop was, well, a loop in his head. And it didn't have to play out in reality. But just imagine for a second if Rich's son had never had the courage to say that to him. What might that loop have actually looked like if his bubble had never burst And he continued perpetuating the story in his head. This can be dangerous 
And this is why it matters to get advice from people that we care about. I've had friends give me some well-needed, but difficult to hear at times, advice in this past year. There have been several times where I've hurt the relationships that I have and my work unnecessarily through over-planning. And it wasn't easy, but having these conversations helped me see the story that I was trying to tell myself of always being in control. Over-planning ended up being a scared reaction to wanting to control everything all the time. Now, fortunately, since starting to let go of that, and if you want proof of that, you can listen to earlier in the season where we talked about rigid versus fluid thinking, because I'm going to be honest with you guys, I made that episode for me as much as I did for you in overcoming over planning. I've been using that mental model a lot. And since using it, I've become so much lighter. I'm learning slowly not to overplan, and it is a work in progress, but I'm slowly changing that story that I tell myself every single day. And if you want to see how the world perceives you truly, then ask those that care about you what they think is special about you. It's hard to read your own label when you're on the inside of the jar. And I did this exact experiment with Rich, and I was amazed to find the difference between what I thought my value was and my story was, and how my friends and family saw me. Quite simply, the stories that we tell ourselves are almost always very different to the stories other people are telling. And it does us a world of good to try and close the gap. So you might be wondering, that all sounds great, Ben, but how do I go about actually changing the story I'm telling myself on a practical basis? Well, let's again turn to Rich and see how he started shifting his story in the most radical of ways. It was that moment when my wife got sick that I made the decision that I needed therapy. Like I fought it for years. I don't need any help. I know what I'm doing. I'm successful. I have a Wharton MBA. I have a great job. My wife's amazing. My kids are great. But I was like, I'm going to be alone again. I'm going to literally be alone because I had this dysfunction and disconnection growing up. And I didn't really know my kids as well as I needed to know. Like I was traveling working. My wife's a gynecologist. We were both, you know, crazed with our careers. We were engaged with our kids, but we really weren't engaged or I wasn't. And it was that moment when I woke up and realized that I'm going to repeat the same mistake that my parents did if I don't get hold of who I am and I don't put my family ahead of everything else. And the best thing that could have happened was my wife getting sick, me getting sick, and both of us now today, to this day, healthy and well. And it was that turning point where I became a catalyst for my own life. So let's break down the complete and utter change that Rich went through in the story he was telling himself. On the one hand, he had all these great things going for him. He had a great degree, kids, a great job. But then suddenly they were all surpassed by one blindingly central story. I'm going to be alone again. That fact obliterated every other narrative he was telling himself. And it was that change in his story that led to a change in his priorities. He went from putting work first to his family. Now think about how that seemingly subtle decision has such a tangible impact on the lives that we lead. If I go from prioritizing work to family, that could be the difference between moving to a new country for my job and staying put where I am to be closer to my children. I'm not somebody who grew up with a silver spoon and 
had this amazing life and I sit on beaches all day and I'm telling you to discover who you are. My story is the catalyst, for lack of a better word, for people to understand that you are a product of where you came from, but you drive the car. It is these decisions that shape who we are. And that's the innate advantage that Rich brings to the table now. He doesn't lecture from theory, but he leads from experience. His lessons all come from what he's been through, the bubbles that he's burst, and the person that he's become. The best way that I can create this movement is to show, don't tell. And for those of you who listened to episode six of this season, you'll recognize that Rich is talking about scars, the lessons that we have wholeheartedly earned the right to teach. Telling is theoretical. Showing highlights what you've done. And when we think about the stories that we're trying to tell and we want to impart onto others, the most powerful of all are going to be the ones rooted in the lessons that we have learned the hard way, the scars that we wear proudly. Those are the lessons that we can speak with from total confidence because those are the lessons that we have lived. But before reaching out to others, there's a key step that we all need to take. For our final segment today, we're going to explore how we need to get real with ourselves. Brene Brown really is somebody who taught me that vulnerability is the only way to really get through to yourself and then find the people that can help you be the person that you really want to be. You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone, but you have to get real with yourself alone. Like you got to admit that I came from a challenged family. You got to admit that I'm not happy in my career. You have to admit that you want more and you have to also admit, I don't know how to do it. So it takes getting real with yourself first before reaching out to others. And once we do that, once we take that step, what could potentially happen? I have such a better communication with my son now. I have a better communication with my daughter. I'm honest and open about what I need. Like my therapist says it all the time, what do you need? And I'm like, you know what? I never really told people what I needed. I hate to receive. I love to give. She's like, well, start receiving, dude. Rich puts himself in his story now. He's honest and open about what he needs. And rather than living in fear of falling into his father's footsteps, he's taking stock of what he needs first and foremost. This is the power of being vulnerable. By opening up, we can understand what we really need. I want to tell you a little story about the power of this vulnerability. In a crowded city, a blind man was sitting on the pavement begging for money. And he had a placard in front of him with three words on it, just simply reading, I am blind. And for hours, people would walk by and he got the odd donation here or there, but there was nothing really remarkable. And then one day, a woman comes along And he has a pen and this woman works at an advertising agency. She sees an opportunity and he says to him, will you let me alter your sign just a little bit? And the blind man has to trust her. He has to trust that she's not going to be duplicitous, but he says, yes, he's vulnerable. He says, yeah, absolutely. And so she writes another three words on his sign and walks off. And slowly but surely, the donations start creeping up. The blind man can't believe it. Within an hour, He's broken the most money he's ever received in a day. In a day, he's got more than he's ever received in a week. And when he finally gets up to ask someone what the sign says, he says, why have people given me so much money? The person puts their hand on his shoulder 
and said, well, didn't you write it? He said, no. And they said, well, the sign says, it's spring and I am blind. Suddenly, everyone's eyes were opened to what he was going through in that moment, what he was missing. They were seeing the profound beauty of spring unfold from the flowers in the trees blooming to the fresh grass underneath. And this blind man couldn't participate. And it was that empathy, that vulnerability that he put forward that allowed the people walking by to finally understand the plight that he was really in. Because when people empathize with you, they can help you. But that can only happen when we're vulnerable about the problems that we have. So ask yourself, where do I need support? What parts in my story are causing me grief? Brené Brown's insight, as we talked about last season, is that being vulnerable is actually courageous. Opening up is definitely hard, but choosing courage over comfort might be that step that we all need to take to write the next chapter in our stories. So let's review what we've learned today. Our first big idea is that we are defined by who we are, not what we do. Rich is a catalyst helping others find their core value. That's who he is even before he thinks about doing any of the work. I comes before why. We are simply not human doings, we're human beings. Secondly, we need to make sure to break free of the stories we're telling ourselves and the bubbles that we exist in. Sometimes it takes a new experience, pushing the comfort zone just a little bit, or a difficult conversation to pop that bubble that we exist in. And having a bias for action lets us find the limits of our story that we might be blind to otherwise. And third and finally is the rich power of vulnerability. It was only when Rich opened up that he could start receiving the help that he needed. Being vulnerable is not always easy, and we can't pretend that it is. But the more discomfort that we bear and the more we are able to open ourselves up to others, the stronger we will ultimately be. If you place yourself in the right position where you are putting yourself in the best place to reflect who you are, that's your job. And if you can help a company understand that, or if you're an entrepreneur and you go create the right business, you hit a grand slam. Remember, the right story at the right time can change everything. Thank you for listening to this episode of Subject Matter. To keep up with our content, you can subscribe over on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening. To keep up with Rich and his story, you can check out his website, therichkeller.com or on LinkedIn by searching Rich Keller Catalyst. Or if you're more of an Instagram person, his handle is Rich S. Keller. Now, our focus this season is making subject matter as useful as possible to every single one of you listening. And with the isolation era we're in, it's kind of changing how we consume our content. Podcasts are usually something you might listen to on the go, And so if you have got this far, firstly, I want to take the time to thank you personally. I really appreciate the fact that you're tuning in, even though you don't have anywhere to go right now. It does mean a lot that you've chosen to take that time to listen. And what I would love to know from you is how you are consuming content at the moment. Are you reading more articles? Are you watching more videos? Are you listening to podcasts? Any and all feedback would be greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts, 
you can reach me on Twitter. My handle is at Ben Bradbury underscore. So without further ado, thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you next week for the next episode of Subject Matter.